Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. He goes, if he has autism, like maybe he shouldn't be in this environment. I was snapping, like. She is not interested in meeting with the opposition and she is hiding from the issue. It's so important that people are critical of what they see online and check people's credentials. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. I had a, a message late last night, very late last night. I was getting ready for the labour from uh, Aaron's dad. Stephen Hill to know had I seen the match of course I hadn't seen the match I completely forgot about it what a night for young Cork snooker star Aaron Hill beating Judd Trump three times winner of the Northern Ireland Open former world champion and current world number two Judd Trump he beat him 4-1 last night in the first round of the Northern Ireland Open that's a serious scalp for Young Hill and I remember saying a year or two ago and I stand over this Aaron Hill will be the next uh, Corkman to play at the Crucible and I fully think that I still think that someday Aaron Hill will play at the single table stage of the Crucible Theatre and if you're a snooker fan you know exactly how big that is what a scalp for that young fella last night tonight plays Tom Ford in the next round and look even if he doesn't progress any further he's taken out Judd Trump at a ranking tournament there's not too many people who managed to do that well done young Aaron Hill 0818 96 96 96 good morning to you text to whatsapp is 083 396 96 96 and your email is opinion at 96fm.ie that's to do this morning we've just had a message in about the Kinsale bus the 226 that news that broke there in the last few days that bus Aaron are to run a double decker on that route from early November it'll ease some of the concerns but we're still getting messages about the the 226 I'll bring in that one in a little while also did we get away with it during the night weather wise or would we want to not lull ourselves into a false sense of security that the rain and the wind are gone because looking out here now from Studio One at Broadcasting House I, I, I 
a fellow would be inclined to think, well, that's the worst of it gone. And the worst of it wasn't very bad. But the forecast has us with this orange rain warning until late tonight. So I wouldn't be inclined to wouldn't be inclined to, to count my chickens before they've hatched or whatever you do these days. Right, we had some fun yesterday. We really did have some fun yesterday with children on planes. Remember we uh, talking to a lovely woman, Sharon, and she's looking to contact this couple who came to her aid on a flight to Athens last Friday when the smallies were just losing it on the flight. And this lovely couple came to their aid at the airport in Athens and just took all the heavy lifting away from them. And Sharon was on the phone here to me yesterday uh, from Athens, wanting to meet them and buy them a drink or something just to say thank you. And we had a good old laugh about it at the end of the end. A couple more calls, people with good stories and funny stories and crazy stories of the kind of behaviour that happens on planes. But one thing that began to come through was anxiety a lot of children, one woman in particular her her child, and again we laughed, but we shouldn't have I guess, about trying to get the child on the plane to Lapland to see Santa and the reindeer and the child is literally being dragged up the steps of the plane in a, in a panic attack, in a screaming fit with mother knowing it'll all calm down once she gets on board and, and once the plane takes off and all of that oh good you laugh and you shouldn't, and you laugh because we all kind of get it as parents. But while all that was going on, we were contacted by Kaz. Kaz, we were talking yesterday about children being anxious on planes and at airports, but it, it, it rung a chord with you for a different reason. You've come through an awful time with your children and anxiety. Good morning. Hi. Yeah, um, so my girls would have been always very confident um, they would have run into preschool first day run into primary school very independent little things and then um, COVID kind of flicked a switch for us and uh, my eldest one developed a really bad anxiety and How then old my youngest one so they're now 10 and 8 so um, the eldest one would have been 8 when it started um, so we had um, we were isolating like really, really isolating because my mum had been diagnosed with a brain tumour, so I was her carer. So we had to make sure that nothing happened, that nothing was transmitted and that we really stayed away from everybody, you know. Um, so we had just lost my mother-in-law, so she had been sick for a couple of weeks. My husband was back and forth to the Netherlands. Yes. And then she got diagnosed on the Monday and she died the following Monday. So oh that was God. a quick, horrible shock. And then we lost his dad the January before the first lockdown. Oh dear. So... It was a lot of loss and it was a lot of grief and my two are very social and we're a very tactile kind of family so like we hug all our friends like the kids get to like hug their friends a hundred times a day in school whatever and I remember the eldest one saying to me one time you know mummy it's so hard going into school because I've got so much hugs and they're all stuck in my body and I have nowhere to put them Oh. And I'm saying, you know, you can you can hug us. It's not the same, Mom. I'm hugging the same three people all the time, you know. So she kind of found the... Was this because the restrictions in school didn't allow yeah. her? Yeah, 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 exactly. And because, you know, we were kind of making sure that we weren't, like, meeting up with people. Like, it was literally straight to school, straight home, and then you stayed in the house. Like, we we washed the legs off the poor dog. Um, <laughs> well, we'd have done that anyway, but... We're here in Cove, so we have Marlowe Woods and we have lovely places to escape to, you know. 
But um, it was just like the isolation was really, really, really hard for her. And then me having to go up and down to mum's appointments and she would have had a couple of hiccups along the way. So I would have said, oh, I'll collect you from school. And the next thing their dad was there to collect them from school, which is obviously great because their dad loves them and he's fantastic. But it was the me not being where I said I was going to be, whereas they would have been used to me always saying I'd be somewhere and being somewhere, you know. So that kind of made them insecure and we had a couple of emergencies at the moment stuff. So they were starting to realise that, you know, things aren't as safe and secure as they once thought. So she started to get really, really, really bad anxiety. <clears throat> and, like, like uh, how, how did it affect her? How did it manifest itself? Uh, really, like, um, scared if I wasn't within her eyeline. So my husband would travel quite regularly with work. Obviously, that all stopped with COVID and he wasn't in the office. He was working from home. So there was always a parent in the house. Mm. So she was always with somebody. But if I wasn't in the house, when's mummy coming home? How, where's mum gone? How, how long was she? You know, and I'd say, like, I'd just pop over to the shop. I'd say, I'll be back in five minutes. What's she buying? And how long is it going to take you? And if there's a queue, will you come home? And will you just not buy your stuff? And all that. Like, the, the, the shop from my house is, like, a six-minute walk mm. or, like, a one-minute drive. Do you know what I mean? So it's not any kind of a distance or <clears throat> like if I was going to a hospital appointment with my mum, which hospital are you going to? Um, will you be seen straight away or do you have to wait for a bit? What if granny needs more tests? What if this? What if that? What if the next thing? Do you have to go back to granny's house afterwards? Are you going to make sure granny eats? All this kind of stuff, you know? And then, you know... I you know, Kaz, when, when a child is asking you questions like that, yeah. can you answer them or is there any way you can try to answer them? What did you do? Um, you just try to be as honest as possible. Like they were unfortunately familiar with death. So, you yeah. know, I was being asked, is granny going to die? You know, and I would say, well, yes, at some point granny will die, but I'm hoping it's not going to be anytime soon. Like we didn't actually realize things were as bad as they were, you know, for my mum. <clears throat> and um, then it's just a case of just trying to be as honest and as age appropriately honest as you can be, like not fobbing off like, oh, don't worry about that. Like, their fears need to be validated. They need to know that you've heard them, mm. you know, and that you're that you're taking their fears seriously. But at the same time, you're very constrained then because you're torn between wanting to be there for the kids and then, like, you have to bring somebody to their radiation appointments. Like, you can't just kind of go, oh, look, the kids aren't feeling great today. They're a bit bad. I can't bring Do you know what I mean? Sure. So you're kind of, you're stuck between a rock and a hard place. So <clears throat> when we started opening society up again, then... um people started going out a bit more and then birthday parties started to reappear and she's really, well, both of my girls, but it started with my eldest and she's like super social. She's the kid that if a new kid comes to school, they're sat next to her. Do that kind of way? So she can kind of bring them into the fold kind of thing. So, and I was just saying it to my husband last night how it's come full circle. So there's one girl in her class and her birthday party is next week. And this time last year, she had invited my girl to her birthday party and it was going to be in her house. There was only going to be four children at the birthday party and <clears throat> it was down in y'all and she wouldn't go unless I sat in my car outside that house for the entirety of the party. Wow. She needed me to be outside the house. So I said, if that's what you need, if you want to go, then I'll go because my husband was home with the other little girls. So I said, that's fine. And then the parents... Even though she was with her friends in a safe yeah. place... Very safe place. She she had met the parents before. They're fantastic people. The, the All the kids that were at the... All the kids. All the four kids who would be at the party, she gets on brilliantly with all of them. 
Like there was no fear of like being bullied or being left out mm. or anything like that. It was just, I have to be able to look out the window and see you. So the parents spotted me and they were like, do you ever come in? Like, just come in. So I was there for the whole party as well. But, they were but you're very, probably very frantic as well, wondering what what's going on with my child? Like what's happening? Yeah, like it was a complete 180 degrees turnaround in personality. You know, like they've, they've in all of their, like they went to Wallaby's preschool and they would have all, like the teachers always said, God, you know, the girls are so happy. Like happy and confident is always how people describe my two kids. Happy and confident, you know. And so like this was a shell of who she used to be. And um, that same girl now, her birthday party is next week. And I said to my eldest, I said, you know, are you okay to go? She goes, oh, yeah, yeah. And I said, do you need me to wait? And she goes, God, no, I'm just back home to Cove, the grant. Good, good. Well, that's no. good. That's good. Totally. But it got it got worse, didn't it, Kaz? I mean, like, uh, your, your mum, like, did your mum pass away? Yeah, we lost mum in August. Sorry yeah. to hear that. And that didn't, that yes. obviously was worse for the children as well, was it? That was, that was awful because they were very, very close to her. And they would, like, a Tuesday was Granny's Day in our house. Mm. So Granny would always get them an ice cream on a Tuesday. So we still get an ice cream on Tuesdays and we cheers it up to Granny. And Sure. You know, it's, it's yeah. So my girls would have been very close to her, like, and it was really, Mum got moved into Marymount in um, June. And I know everybody says that you can't praise Marymount enough, but honestly, you actually can't. No, like, you can't, just, can you? They're yeah. angels walking, like, they're just unbelievable. And Mum was up in St. Christopher's Ward and they just, they could not do enough for her. Um, but that's when my youngest, her anxiety really started to kick in. And I have to admit, we kind of concluded in the first week or two, we kind of thought, oh, she's looking for a bit of attention now because the other one got it. Yeah. You know, but but I was wrong. Like, you know, when I've apologised to her since, I, was, I said, you know, I honestly thought that you were just kind of putting it on. And she was like, Mom. And I was like, I know, I'm sorry. Grown ups get it wrong too sometimes. But my eldest was, like, actually what made a huge difference to my eldest last year was her teacher. She was in fourth class last year and she had, well, we're very blessed with the teachers that we have in our school anyway, but her teacher was just amazing because she said to me that even if she went to photocopy pages for the class, she would have to bring my eldest with her because otherwise my eldest would run into the next classroom so that she could be with an adult so she could feel safe. That's a very troubled little kid. Yeah, yeah, and it was just because I was trying to think... What else could be causing it? Like, has something happened? Has something hurt her? Has something frightened her? Of course, every nightmare scenario has gone through your head. Exactly, exactly. You know, I, lose, I bet you lost sleep, did you, Cass? Oh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I brought her in for counselling and everything, you know, and she was given, you know, and the counsellor was like, I really, I don't see any markers or any signs that, you know, because they're trained to pick up on stuff that you as a parent won't necessarily Yeah. If something, you know, untoward has happened. You're, you're thinking the worst. You're thinking, did Absolutely. someone hurt my little girl? Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. But, um, and you know, it, it, and, but the difference in her now is unbelievable. And my youngest, we so we, we started going, so the reason I got in touch with you was to tell you about this guy, Michael in Glenmire, <clears throat> who runs the Mind Bodies Clinic. So my youngest was really um, stuck with her anxiety as well. It kind of... It really, really got bad once mum moved into Marymount. Yeah. And I said, you know, like, they're eight and they're ten now, and this is not the life that I want for them. And the two of them had just become completely different kids, totally, you know, afraid of me. Like I was saying to Emer that then my eight-year-old would even follow me into the loo. Like I couldn't go to the toilet on my own. She'd have to stand in the bathroom with me and make sure that I was okay. You know, and it was all the fear was centred around me, something happening to me. 
um, they're very aware of mortality now, you know, um, and they would have been used to their well, dad being... They'd lost, what, there. was it two two or three grandparents? They lost their last two. So my, my dad was died when I was 12, so they never met him. So they lost all three of their grandparents in the space of three years. And their dog, I think. And then we lost the family dog in June, and then we just thought that was going to break us completely. Now we've gotten another rescue since. Yeah. she saved us <laughs> so <laughs> obviously what's going on right? here Kaz is they're terrified that mommy will be next yeah yeah they're very worried or they were very worried to be away from me um, they see me as their safety zone if anything happens that I can give them the safety this is all what's come out in counselling and stuff right um, and um, that they kind of feel which is weird because they would have been so well equipped like they can handle and they're very aware of who they are as people so they're not the kind of kids that can be easily bullied and they would be the kind of kids that yeah. would stand up if they saw somebody You sound, from the way you talk to me, that you built them up that way. You've built them very carefully to be strong, resilient young kids and, and yet yeah. all of a sudden that's gone and that's yeah. terrifying for everybody. How did you discover this clinic then? Pure fluke. Um, I was talking to my neighbour. I had mentioned about the kids and the anxiety and stuff and she had mentioned that her husband had anxiety as well. And that he had been to this place and that it had changed him. And that was grand. So I took the number and I said, yeah, I'll look into that. And then things kind of came to a head with mum and I did nothing about it. And then a couple of weeks back, I got into, I was saying to her, look, is there any chance you could give me that number again? Because um, I don't know where I've put it. So I rang and I spoke to him and he said, well, look, because it's for the kids, he said, why don't you come on away in and I'll show you what happened. You come in by yourself. I'll talk you through the therapy. And if you think it's something that will work for the kids, then we can make an appointment. Like, but there was no hard sell. There was no push. There was mm. no obligation kind of a thing. So for adults, you listen to relaxing music and kids get to watch a cartoon or a movie. So the way I explained it to the kids when I was telling them about it is if we're walking down Marlowe Woods, you know that there's a path because everybody walks past. The path has been worn. But every now and again, you'll see that somebody has made a path through part of the grass. And that's not the regular path that people take. So when you have anxiety, your brain starts to walk down the regular path, but then your anxious thoughts bring it over to the kind of second path. Yes. Does that make sense? Yeah, it do. It does, yeah. yeah. Okay, so you're so then, torn between what's the right thing to do. Yeah. And then your brain gets used to being on the second path and so it wears that down so that then becomes your regular path. But you're actually on an anxious path rather than on the regular path. So anxiety becomes normal. Yes. And so if the technology that he has picks up on what they call turbulence in your brain waves. So it, it recognises that your brain is going to the second path and so it gives you a little kind of a sound. It's like, you know, of the old records and how they'd have a bit of static. Yeah. So that's what it sounds like. And when your brain hears that static, it jumps from the second path back onto the main path. So for me, I was listening to classical music, and every now and again I'd hear a little bit of static, and that was it. And for the kids, they go in, they watch Harry Potter movies. Okay. So they'll be watching Harry Potter, and every now and again they'll hear static, and that's literally the treatment. The results speak for themselves, I think. Absolutely. Like, I've got my kids back and we've only had six sessions. And I have both of my kids back completely. Um, like yesterday now, the youngest one, I was dropping her off to musical theatre class in Billie Jean's in Middleton. She got out of the car in the car park in Market Green. She went up the stairs to herself straight in. Like, that would have never happened even four weeks ago. 
Like I had to walk her to the door. I had to wait until she had gone in. She had to be able to turn around and wave at me. She had to be able to run to the window and look out and see me sitting in the car park in my car. Wow. Do you know? So have you, in the course of the few weeks, have you gotten to the bottom of where all this was coming from or was it just a kind of a culmination of losing three grandparents and a dog and being isolated and frightened and all that? Is that what it was? Well, from the counselling that we've done, we haven't been able to pinpoint anything other than an awful lot of bereavement and the isolation. Yeah. That's the only thing that we've been able to pinpoint it to. And the girls have coping strategies and they got tools that they were using, you know, to help them. And it was kind of helping them to calm down a bit when they did get scared or when they did get anxious. But this, like, they don't even think about situations now. It's like, it's, I can't even explain how quick and how huge the change has been in the kids. On the contrary, I think you've explained it very well. Thank you. (laughs) I think you have. Because it's a remarkable uh, transformation in a matter of weeks from a situation yeah. that must have been terribly frightening for you yeah. and for your husband as as parents. I'm I'm delighted you called us and if we can direct anybody towards that clinic or if anybody else has been there then they can call us and thanks for being with me today. No bother. Thank you too, PJ. Cheers, Kaz. Um, yeah, it's not an endorsement on our, ha- our behalf. We can't do that kind of thing but the clinic that... Kaz is talking about his Glenmire Therapy Clinic at Brook Lodge Business Park. And I'm sure if you look it up, you can talk to them and make your own decision. <clears throat> Thank you, Kaz. 0818 96 96 96. Yeah, we got an update early this morning. And remember, again, out of hours, the best way to contact us is by email, opinion at 96fm.ie. Hi there, I'm sending you an update on the latest debacle on the Kinsale bus, the 226 this morning, Bus Aaron closed the door. The driver closed the door on passengers, even though there were seats empty on the bus. It passed people at other stops, too, still with empty seats on the bus. They were obviously keeping them for whoever was getting on the airport. Bus Aaron have now promised a double-decker from November, but meanwhile, people are still being left stranded and waiting at a bus stop for an hour with no shelter in this weather. Here's the link to their yeah, the Facebook page, etc., etc. Uh, local Green Party rep is trying to lobby, but it's all of no use. People still being left behind daily. Thanks for that. Well, as we said yesterday, I told you yesterday, and it's been, it came out over the last few days, and whether it's response to a, a discussion here in the opinion line last week or other such articles in other outlets, the uh, decision has been made by Bus Aaron to put on a double-decker from the start of November, which should solve some of the problems at least. But that's a weird one. If we take that one, as we're told it, that the bus travels past bus stops with people standing at the bus stop, even though it's got empty seats. Why Why would that happen? 0818 You guys ready? Drive home weekdays from four on Corks ninety six FM. After a two week break, it's back and it's more head wrecking than ever. The one second song returns this week. Can you figure out what the song is from just one second? 
Is it cold to clocks? Is it slander? Love is gone. George Ezra, anyone. Christina Aguilera is stronger. A moment like this by Leon Lewis. Give it a go yourself. Join me every weekday from four. The Big Drive Home. With Kevin O'Leary, Silver Springs. The new home for Suzuki and Cork. Hybrid has never been so affordable. Call now to ensure January delivery. Cork's 96 FM. Promise you yesterday that if you told me your stories about kids on a plane, I'd tell you my story about a buggy abandoned at an airport. I'll do that later. I'll also tell you about the time I nearly landed in serious trouble with the monk of all people. I know I will. I promise you that story. I nearly landed myself at the height of trouble with Jerry Hutch. The Irish Sun has a huge front page this morning. Monk was on six-man Regency hit team. And the story is now that Jerry the Monk Hutch told Jonathan Dowdall, and we know he's change now to become a, a state witness, that he was one of the team that murdered David Byrne at the Regency Hotel uh, back a number of years ago. This court trial, the Special Criminal Court, is, is underway and the sun has a lot on it this morning. Pages, front page and pages four, five, six and seven, joined by Michael Doyle uh, who's who's writing the story and covering the uh, case for the Sun? Big story, Michael, and a very very unusual trial. Really high profile, really high security. Morning. Good morning, PJ. Um, yeah, well, this is probably the most high profile uh, gangland trial in perhaps since John Gilligan went on trial for the murder of Veronica Guerin over 20 years ago. So naturally there's there's huge interest in it. Obviously the accused is a a very recognisable figure, certainly in in Irish uh, underworld circles. So naturally enough, the the attention that it's it's garnering is uh, quite significant and and perhaps understandably so. But yesterday, yeah, the trial finally opened yesterday um, and we heard that there will be claims during the trial. This is obviously claims from Jonathan Dowdall, who has recently pleaded guilty, will be making a statement and testifying against Jerry Hutch in the trial. But he will he will say that Jerry Hutch told him that he was part of the six-man hit team that carried out the attack on the Regency back in February 2016. These are these are kind of revelations that even us in the media were were um, hadn't heard before. Um, obviously, the evidence will be tested because this will be just Jonathan Dowdall's word, of course. Yeah. So. So um, it's it's certainly a, it was an interesting opening to the case, and when the case opens like this, a high profile or any any criminal trial, it's you're, you're given an outline of, of what you're going to hear throughout sure. the course of the event. It's not actually evidence as such; mm-hmm. it's just this is what the trial will hear, this is what the judges will hear, and that's what we heard yesterday that the, the course that the trial will will entail. The opening statement, and it's set to be quite a sensational trial. Now, very high security. I know it's a special criminal court, which brings with it a certain level of security anyway, but it's a very high level of security, Michael. There is, yeah. Well, the special criminal court only hears cases traditionally from organised criminals or dissident republicans. And it does attract, it always attracts heavier security. But in this case in particular, I mean, Jerry's, Jerry's arriving in court every morning under heavy armed guard in, in a prison van, which is escorted by a number of guarded cars, marked and unmarked. Um, there is armed guard patrol in the entrance to the, to the court building. There's heavy security in the courts. Um, so, I, even I've noticed this week that even even uniformed guardy entering the court building are being asked to produce their ID. Um, it's no chances they've been taken. This is obviously in, in, in 
because of what happened at the Regency scene. The the disguised guardie that entered the building. It's an unusual move. It's not the first it's not the first um, court hearing involved in the Regency, but it's the first time I've noticed that this approach has been taken. Mm. It's difficult for media to access the court as well, isn't it? Well, there, any any media covering it, and obviously there's just so much tension uh, going with this trial. There's, there's a big thing with eighteen journalists again, like DSD, but they're all on a, on, a, on a list. Um, they're all they had to kind of apply previously, so everybody's been checked going in and make sure their name is on the list. And if you're not on the list, you have to kind of re- reapply to kind of get 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 access. But um, it's it's if you're on if you're on that list, you're, you're, the media have been treated treated quite well. There's, there's so much tension going with it. There's a huge media press corps following this trial because of the interest that's in it. Like this is a man, to be fair, Michael. This is a man who's been one of the most notorious organised criminals in the country for many a long year. I remember my my good pal Paul Williams written at length about him. So of yourself and many other colleagues written at length about the man, and he's been like Teflon for decades. But here he is now he has. on trial for murder. Well, this is it. He was like a, a Teflon is the perfect word to describe him. I mean, he was the chief suspect in a number of very high-profile armed robberies uh, going back going back to the eighties. Um, he always seems to uh, he always seems to kind of be one step ahead. He had an issue with the Criminal Assets Bureau number. He made a, a significant settlement with them. Yeah, but he hasn't been behind bars since his I think since his younger days. And and to, to find him that he was organised or certainly he's accused of organising this high-profile attack on the Regency when he was extradited last year it was a huge moment a significant moment mm-hmm. for um, it, in, in Irish gangland in history because everybody just assumed that Jerry Hutch was this almost kind of romantic figure in, in many ways and they always seem to be one step ahead he'd settled he'd, he'd settled out in Spain and that's where he's been based for a number of years so to have him extradited and stand trial for murder um, it's a huge it's a huge moment, moment and of course over the course of the next 12 weeks we'll, uh, we learn, we learn much more. You answer my next question. They're saying twelve weeks it could take to, to run this case, yeah? Well that was initially that was twelve weeks was the initial estimate. Um but we heard because it's been it's already been laid delayed a couple of weeks because of the, the, the approach that Dowdos took in pleading guilty. Yes. The defense had to go back and, and reassess their strat their strategy in many ways. And because the, the, the Jonathan Dowdall is obviously going to be a significant witness in the trial, that evidence will take quite a while because mm-hmm. a lot of it will be tested. He'll be cross examined um, for for a significant period of time. And Brendan Graham, who is Jerry Hutch's uh, uh, senior counsel said last week that they don't foresee it finishing before Christmas. Mm-hmm. But if it goes into 2023, it'll be the early part of 2023. They um, is the estimate at this point. And lastly, I know Mr. Dowdall and indeed his dad are in jail right now as a result of what happened in the last couple of weeks. When is he due to testify? They're not. They're not. They're not actually just in jail just yet. Oh, they've really? been given a stay of two weeks. They've been sta- given a stay of two weeks on the the warrant being executed. They have to present themselves in Portlaoise P- Prison in two weeks' time. And um, now, but they are in protective custody. It's to do with they. They think with the, the court heard it to do with them consulting professional people or something like that. They are in protective custody. Their sentences won't come. Kind of start or continue for two weeks in many ways because they have served a bit of time already but he will testify it's, we, we, we've heard it'll be later in the trial um, it'll be towards it's been backlogged his evidence has been so it won't be, won't be for a number of weeks yet that'll, that'll be some day when he steps into the witness box thank you very much Michael Doyle of the Irish Sun has the front page and several other pages within the paper today on the trial of Jerry Hutch the monk I have a friend who lives on the north side of Dublin's inner city, up around Marino. I have a lot of friends actually up in that part of town. 
And one afternoon, a few years ago, I was in Dublin for work. I was up at the Doyle, and my friend who worked at the time at the National Archives asked me, could she have a lift home? I said, of course you can. No problem. Wander over there to the Doyle, and I'll give you a lift out home. And There'd be a bit of dinner and a coffee in it for me, doing yourself? So we're walking out, and of course the little car ahead at the time was very low on petrol. And there is a garage in a place called Ballybock, and you drive into the garage, and self-service, of course, you know yourself, filled up the car with petrol, went in, came out, got back into the car, and went to reverse, and she let her roar out, stop! I says, what, 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 what? You don't want to knock down the monk. And there he was, there he was, across the forecourt, putting, about to put petrol into his own car in the pump behind me. So I nearly came a cropper that day. That is not someone you would want it to have knocked down. Congratulations to our winner of Quartz 96 FM's Sun, Samba and Styles. Hello? Is that Maureen Buckley? Oh my God, it is. Oh my God. Oh my God, no way. Oh my God. Maureen? Yeah? You're going to Brazil! You've won! Get in! I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Maureen Buckley, where are you from? Um... Have you forgotten? Rio de Janeiro, I think. <laughs> you are going to Harry Styles in Brazil, and we are absolutely delighted for you. Oh, my God. I don't believe it. Thank you so much. Stay listening, because our next big giveaway is coming very soon. Very soon. Only on Cork's 96FM. John was on the phone talking about the, the monk and the trial of, of the monk and all that, wondering... Could we be accused, us in the media, of maybe lionising or making celebrities out of people like the monk? It's a good question, John. It's one I'd probably discuss with you if we weren't in the middle of an ongoing trial right now. But do we, I wonder? I mean, the, the name of the monk, the name of Jerry Hutch, has been writ large in in crime in Ireland, organised crime in Ireland for many, many years. So I guess, and, and his face is unmistakable. Like that day, years ago, when my friend pointed out to me that I almost knocked him down in, in a petrol forecourt. His face, his name has been instantly recognisable for years. John is making the point, well, do we do we make celebrities out of them, um, um, us in the media? It's a good question, John. Maybe when the trial is over or... At some point down the line, we'll, we'll discuss it more. But you know yourself, we have to be a bit careful when there is a trial ongoing at the Special Criminal Court. There's another story getting out of talk going in the last few days. I had to laugh. You know, someone really does need to take Leo Varadkar aside and say, Leo, would you stop sharing stuff online for pity's sake? The Food Safety Authority is the latest crowd now to weigh in after Leo posted a picture on his socials of his fridge. Now, why you would put a picture of your fridge, I don't know. But himself and his partner, Matt, had all of their meals, all of their dinners and lunches and snacks boxed off. Like, the amount of work goes into this, they must be up half the night doing it. But they had sausages and eggs and ham and pancake and sambos and salads all in little boxes in the fridge. 
But of course, people say, you can't believe an uncovered box. No, shouldn't be doing that now. Uncovered, that's very dangerous. And the Food Safety Authority of Ireland weighed in as well. And they said, no, you shouldn't be leaving uncovered boxes of stuff, of food in the fridge. Which prompted Leo to come back and say, actually, no, that was only for the photograph. We, we, we do cover them. Like, Leo, stop sharing. Or else learn about what you should and you shouldn't share. You know, the number of times in the average year where I have something ready to go on social, a picture I've taken of me home or me cats or me dogs or something, and you go, no, 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 no. It'll get you into more trouble than it solves. <laughs> it was funny, though. Everybody weighing in on Leo's lunch. 0818969696. Could you spend 10 days without opening your mouth to a soul, even though you are surrounded by people? So there's people everywhere. You're in a place with people. You're not allowed to talk to them or make friends with them in any way because you're on a retreat. It's like a, a, a Buddhist retreat and you spend nine hours a day for ten days just meditating, sitting with your legs crossed and your back straight, breathing and meditating and saying nothing to nobody. That's exactly what Marco Sullivan did recently, just for the crack, to see what it would be like. He wrote about it in Cork, Bio, about staying silent for 10 whole days. Mark, the first question I'd ask about doing something like this is why? Good morning. Um, so, uh, I, I was, when I was younger, I was handed a book on meditation. It's called Happiness by Matthew Ricard. I definitely recommend it. And, um, yeah, I, I just gave it a go. It was a book on Buddhism. Um, so I, I tried to give meditation a go and I kind of struggled with it. And then a few years later, I read an article similar to mine. Um, and he just said he tried the whole, you know, meditating in the morning a, a small bit at night, but it, he didn't really get a proper feel for it. Yeah. Um, so he decided to go for a, a, a 10 day long retreat and uh, I took it as advice. The silence thing, as someone who struggles to keep their mouth shut for 10 minutes, how do you do it for 10 days? Um, it's a good question. Um, I suppose some people are better than others. Um, I, I'd say, so like it's kind of cool at first because, you know, everyone's taking this, this veil and we're all in on it and you're talked into it and what you can't and cannot do. You know, they take all your items, uh, phones, watches all you have is just a clothes and essentially like one alarm clock and um, i don't know why they wouldn't let you keep a watch but then it kind of squeezes you to or forces you to meditate because you know you'll use anything to distract yourself and that's a, a large part of it like the minute my world goes silence mark i'm reaching for a book or, or, or something to engage myself with you're, you're obviously not allowed to read no 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 you're not allowed to read you can't even exercise which you can't exercise. I felt was so you're allowed. There, there's a field where you're allowed to roam around, but you're not like they say you shouldn't do yoga or like you shouldn't um, because you're like you are like engaged with it. Like you're meditating nine hours a day, and the videos push it up to over ten. So like it's hard to find space inside it because when you're done, you you just go to bed and you collapse really. Yeah. Is it is it tiring doing doing nothing and speaking to nobody all day? It is a bit. 
like I, I did have like I did feel dizzy at times because you're constantly keeping trying to meditate and that's just you know breathing and um, there's there's some other ones you, you can read into it online um, but uh, so if you don't do that or if you start avoiding and it's very easy to do because if you, if you look at someone you can't tell if they're concentrating right they could just be sat in the position right yeah. um, you'll get bored if you start ignoring it and then you'll fall out of it and then Right. And then you'll likely leave the course. So, so the concentration level you're saying is is high enough to keep you engaged anyway, and therefore is is mentally tiring. I noticed something from what you wrote in Cork, Bio, Mark. There are other people there, but you're not allowed, I guess, or you're not. It's not recommended that you bond with them or even acknowledge their presence by the reading of the piece. Yeah, well, like monks are known to be very, you know, uh, distant and, you know, keep to themselves. And uh, it really was that, you know, like there's teachers overseeing you just to keep an eye for that. It's strange. Um, it's strange. Personally, I even listening to you, I, I think I'd go mad in a day or two. Yeah, like, like, the, like it does kind of pull strong reactions out of you. Like what started happening to me was... um. Well, like after really long sessions, um, I would find myself very, very giddy. It's, it's one of those situations where you don't want to laugh, but you, you, you kind of can't help yourself. So uh, I would be laughing to myself, sometimes about nothing. Yeah. Um, and then I'd be aware that I was laughing about nothing. And then that would, you know, just cause me to laugh even more. Yeah. And so I was just trying to hide laughter at points. It wasn't constant, but... Uh, I did think it was it was a giddiness because, you know, you, you do get cagey in there too, you know, because you're just... One, did one of the people there, one of the teachers, as you called them, explain that laughter to you? Yeah, like I was approached on the laughter, um, but I don't think there's a piece of advice that could help. And I wasn't scared of my laughing fits, but he did try to take me through, like, and they did have reactions like this. There was other people that did it too, in other words. Yeah. You're just getting a fit of, a fit of the giggles for the want of something to to talk That's about, it. I guess. Or I noticed as well, sitting cross-legged isn't as easy as it sounds. No, no, yeah. Um, so they didn't have chairs there, and typically monks sit on with their legs crossed. And um, so they gave you, like, pillows. So you kind of experiment a bit, and you'd get a kind of a groove... But yeah, there, there was a lot of pains, a lot of aches. Um, it was a part of the meditation too. So like a huge part of a passing is, is you're kind of training your mind to act in a certain way. That's pretty much what meditation is. And the less reactive you are, the, I guess, more independent you are. Yeah. So when you see these pains, you're, you're meant to not react. Um, so it, like it's, it's it's odd. Like you, you can get to a place where like the pain, you just get used to it. But after a while, like you know, you're you're sat there for two or three hours. It's just it's impossible. You know, your, your legs. <laughs> Something tells me at the end of it, Mark, that life as a monk might not be for you. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, good point. Uh, potentially, I don't think a life as a monk is is for most, and um, it's definitely a bit more alien with my background. Um, but like you, you just get so into. I remember there was a guy next, like he was um, living next to me or um, sleeping in the bed next to me, and so reserved, so calm. He was like so meticulous, 
with everything he did and that's because he, he lived that a very simple way like um and uh, like uh, i think he did the retreat a few times comparatively we have very hectic hectic lives and yeah. you, you miss a lot of it like, like, like so. what's what's your own life what what do you do outside of this so i'm actually doing a master's for us in psychology at the moment okay. um, but you know i I go out drinking and uh, you know um, listen to music and you're obviously not allowed to do that there. But um, I, I would recommend it for people. You know, I think yeah. um, a worthwhile experience. Definitely, yeah, definitely. You know, it is a challenge. And if somebody wanted to find out more, where might they start to read or to look? Yeah, so um, they have it twice a year, and you do have to book a couple of months in advance. But there's a website. It's just for passing that. Um, V-A-P-A-S-S-A-N-A they're, like they're all around the world too it's free it's free is it? so yeah, yeah it's free oh. the, the, so it, it runs on donations okay. and, you know, and in the winter I assume there'll be heating in that um, so you'd hope well yeah, yeah well these days you know because <laughs> monks uh, wouldn't necessarily bother too much with heating in real life so they have can... a meditation for that actually no I'm joking yeah. no they don't have any heating meditations it's uh, <laughs> That's up to you. <laughs> Sounds like a strange thing to do. Are you glad you did it? Yeah, definitely, definitely, yeah. All right. Thanks for talking to me today, Mark. No problem. Thank you so much. Me and my people be rolling, rolling. Join Simon Murdoch on Cork's 96FM each afternoon this week for your chance to be at Cork Opera House for Great Cork Jazz Festival gigs October Bank Holiday Weekend. Win a golden ticket to go to Deck Pierce's Block Rockin' Beats on the 28th, Jenny Green on the 29th, then Mac Fleetwood, Europe's premier tribute to Fleetwood Mac, and stars of Electric Picnic, King Kong Company, both on Sunday, October 30th. See CorkOperaHouse.ie for more. Listen from midday to win. Me and my, me and my people be rolling. Only on Cork's 96FM. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 9696 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96FM.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Just a quick one on, on uh, Leo and the picture of his lunch and the fridge full of food and, and all of that whole crack. Um, some people take things very, very seriously and I guess it's it's hard not to. Um, Leo should, as a public representative, Leo should take himself down to Penny Dinners, take a photograph of one dinner down there and maybe lend some support to their work rather than putting up pictures of his own dinner. Yeah, I just thought when I saw it, Leo, 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 are you ever going to learn? Leo, the oversharer. 0818969696. We were talking yesterday about planes and seats on planes and all of that. And as always, Eugene is listening for the unusual. And he finds it. I probably give him more fodder than others. Eugene says, PJ, I noticed you were talking yesterday about a chair and a seat. Yeah. Interchanging the two words. Okay. When is a chair a seat? And the other way around is a question from Eugene. <laughs> well, Eugene, I could have answered it for you, but you asked, answered it anyway. A chair. Did you know this, by the way? These are the kind of useless things you learn on a program like this. Look across the kitchen or across the office or across the shop. 
wherever you are now, at the chair on the other side of the room. The flat part that you put your arse on, that's the seat. The chair is the structure. Thank you, Eugene. Oh, God. 0818 96 96 96. There are some messages that just made you realise it was worth coming in this morning. I think that's it for today. Now, on a totally different topic, it's just over a year since I spoke on the opinion line with Leona Birmingham. Leona was one of a number of parents featured on an RTE Primetime Investigates documentary about the incineration of baby's organs from CUMH. Her son, Lee, a twin son, was born at CUMH. He died and his organs were taken and incinerated. It's a scandal. And RTE Investigates did a major program on it last autumn, revealing that 18 babies had been involved, that their organs were sent from CUMH to Belgium in 2020 to be incinerated along with clinical waste. And as you can imagine, there was much outrage and upset at the time. The the families were deeply upset and grieving and there was public outrage that somebody signed off on this decision. And to this day, we don't know who that was. But they were promised, the families were promised a report from the HSE into what had happened and how it had happened and who had sanctioned it and all those questions. And so far, there's been no sign of that report. Um, Let's start by reminding ourselves of my conversation with Leona just over a year ago. So I just think they didn't act on, they didn't think about us when they signed all this off and decided to incinerate our baby's organs abroad it's, it's just unthinkable, really. Supposing someone had called you, Leona, and said, look, we have a bit of a problem here. Would that have been, as in, we've nowhere... Would that, that have happened? That would have been... Yeah, of course it would. I mean, we would have been out... We could have took Lee's brain and... Like, there was many things we could have, we could have done mm. with it. We could have buried it with him. We could have... Like, it's all our... All, all that really, like a little, to have a little piece of Lee at home with us, we would have absolutely loved it. Instead of it ending up with medical waste in another country, it's just it's heartbreaking for us to even accept that. Leona, that's a reminder of the first time you and I spoke here on the opinion line, just after the primetime documentary. Uh, you've heard nothing since. Good morning. Good morning. Um, no, so we have no indication of when the report will be finalised. Um, we're not sure if it is finalised. Um, they're just coming back to us saying it'll be a couple of weeks. Um, they're not. They didn't actually say that it was finalised or it wasn't finalised. So we're really unsure of what's happening at the moment. It's getting to you a bit now, isn't it? Oh, it's soul destroying, really, um, to think that. We spoke out this time last year thinking we'll get somewhere and I never thought we'd be still living this nightmare a year later. Like it is a nightmare because you still don't know what happened. What what are the remind us again, Leon, of the questions that you need answered, that you need them answered for you and your peace of mind and your partner's peace of mind. So we have we at the moment we, we still have saw no proof of not we just heard from someone's mouth that this is what happened. 
um, the child's or son's organs that they have been shipped abroad to be incinerated and that's basically all we know we don't know anything else um, and our questions are just simple why why don't we get a phone call and um, why weren't we informed of this earlier um, just basic questions and why but basic questions about our consent forms um, and why were they shipped abroad and um, just things that we need for our own closure and we have a right to know about our son's organs yes at the time I remember you and I talked about this. You want to know who signed off on this? Yeah, who we want someone it? held accountable. We want to know, like, what was going through their minds when they thought, "Yeah, that's okay. Let's ship eighteen babies' organs away to be incinerated abroad and not inform their parents." what in their right mind were they thinking then, and who signed off? I mean, I don't think it was just any one person. Um, I'm sure I had to go through a few different hands to be signed off on and it wasn't something that was just a tick of a box and thought an hour later it was gone. Um, I'm sure there was a whole process leading up to this um, and that's what we want to know. Not only was this decision made, this decision was sanctioned, this decision mm-hmm. was signed off on. Yeah, without or without the parents' knowledge, without the parents being informed of anything um, I mean, it was weeks later by the time we did get the phone call. And even in that phone call, they didn't explain nothing. They didn't go into detail about it. Um, they just said we couldn't get our son's organs back and left it at that. You've been emailing them ever since and calling them ever since. Yeah, I have. Um, on the 4th of August, I emailed um, the South Southwest Hospital Group and the CEO of the CUH um, just with a list of concerns we have um, and I got a reply from the Southwest Hospital Group on the 23rd of August um, telling me to raise my concerns directly with the CEO of the CUH and at the moment I'm still waiting for a direct reply to my concerns. So you did write, did you? Oh yeah, we did. We we emailed. We um, I have sent numerous emails asking for a reply um, just to be told um, that sometimes they just don't bother replying sometimes they say yeah we have put your concerns out there and we're home but we haven't heard nothing back and um, mm-hmm. I feel like we're just being pushed from one person to the next that nobody wants to actually deal with our yeah. questions our concerns they're just fobbing us off at this stage Leona, what's it like trying to live like this? It's bad enough having lost your beautiful child and, and this to discover this down the line. What's it like trying to live like this now? Um, we have we have no closure. Um, it's We didn't get to grieve our son properly. Um, I still feel like I haven't gone through the complete grieving process. Um, and we do have his little twin brother that I know will be asking questions yeah. and it's just the fear of the unknown. Um, like they told us this happened, but did it happen? Like, are we? How sure are they that this is where our son's organs are? Um, it's the first thing I think about when I wake up in the morning, and it's the last thing I think about at night. Just what happened, my beautiful son. Um, it's it's just really nerve wracking. I'm afraid of what's going to come next. Is there going to be another bit of a scandal added to it? Um, it's very uneasy. It's hard to just yeah. to just close the book really and try live a normal life when this is eating away at us. That's not a book inside. that's not a book you can close and, until you find out what happened. 
Yeah, that's it. And once we do find out what happened, I know we'll have a long road in accepting it. And, but at least then we can get the help that we need and maybe get some sort of closure and learn to live with it. But at the moment, it's just an open book that we can't move past. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about that and maybe to people who wouldn't, who mightn't understand it, Leona. Like you go to bed at night and you wake up in the morning thinking, what happened? Yeah, and I, I know I will grieve my son Lee um, for the rest of my life and I'm okay with that. Um, I miss him and that's okay, but missing your son and not knowing exactly what happened to your son's organs is just two completely different wavelengths. Mm. Um, I feel guilty. I have been gone through so many emotions that I felt guilty. I was angry, as angry at myself. I was angry at the hospital. Um, it's just the emotions are what gets you down it's it's so I'm emotionally drained from it all really mm. at this stage Is it hard on a relationship? Yeah like I mean I mean the both of us have to be parents and the both of us have to get out and go to work and try continue as normal um, but just having all these questions it's just it's just really unfair on us um, I think we we do deserve these answers and we deserve to be able to work on it together and get past this mm. Um yeah, and you're very clear. You're very clear as well, Leona. You're you're not going to stop asking those questions. No, not not at all. I'm not stopping. Um, and at this stage, it's not it's not even about me or Glenn anymore. It's more about Lee. It's about Lewis. It's about them seventeen other angel babies and any any future losses. I mean, we we know in Ireland we were here way back a number of years ago and not, nothing has changed like we still have no human tissue bill passed so my fight is for a greater cause it's not just about us it's mm. about anyone that will suffer an unfortunate loss in the future um, we need a human tissue bill passed we need to make the necessary changes now before another grieving family have to go through this again there used to be an old saying back in the days of the mother and baby homes and the mm -hmm. Magdalene laundries and the way they treated women and their babies back then, you know, if we ignore them long enough, they'll go away. That's not going to happen here, I think, is the very clear message from you today. No, no way is it going to happen. I mean, I, I'm i hoping that it will end soon, but believe me, I'm not. I'm ne I will never give up. This is something that I'm so determined to do. Um, and I will, I keep, I think if I have to send the same email every single day for the rest of my life, then that's what I'll do. Um, I mean, us along with the other families we did, we protested outside the hospital, we sent emails, we've contacted TDs, we've done everything in our power and we're, we're not stopping. We, we are not stopping until we get the answers that we deserve. And that your little boy deserves. Yeah. Leona, it's, it's great talking to you and I, I, I Unfortunately, I wish the circumstances were happier. And one day, if you do get the answers, I'd, I'd love to talk again. Oh, of course. I don't think this is the last time you'll hear from me if I that's think not. a bad thing. I think not. Great chatting to you, as always. Look after Thanks yourself. Thanks very much. And my, best, my best to Glenn. Thank you. It's, no, thank you. Um, thanks. Leona. Uh, Katie, can we chat just after the commercial break because you're another one of these families affected by, by this scandal. Can we just chat after the break? Thanks. Can we just talk?
The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 0818 96 96 96. On Cork's 96 FM. Now the parents very shortly after that uh, documentary came out last year, they gathered themselves into a group called The Voice of Our Angels, campaigning and continuing to campaign and demand answers. Katie, um, my condolences. We've not spoken before. My condolences to you on the loss of James. He was just two days old. And he died in January 2020. Good morning to you. Morning. Tell me your story. Um, well, as you said, my son James was born. He passed away after a day. He had a hole in his lung and he had a bleed. So sadly, he did pass away. But when all this came about, we had to find out through social media. And thanks to Leona, again, Leona, I thank her every time because without Leona coming forward, we wouldn't have known anything about this at all. So nobody told you anything? We got told. The Leona's RTE investigations was being premiered and we got a phone call the night before and we were basically told that there was a scandal going to be coming about publicly about 18 babies. That's all we were told and that they had to notify us families because we were one of the families involved and that is all we were told until we found out through social media the following morning. Crikey, so you were one of the families involved. You found out just before the documentary? Yeah, the night before and then I had to wake up. Like, we were literally just told you're part of it when we questioned what is it. They said they couldn't inform us of what it was. So when I woke up the following morning, I had to see it on papers, oh hear it on the radio, God. and then watch Leona that night. So let me let me let me paint this out for listeners who might be missing it, Katie. So you got a call to say there was a documentary coming up on RTE, and that you were involved, shall we say, your your family, your yeah. your baby had been involved. You didn't know the nature of the documentary. You didn't know what was going to no. be what was going to be revealed in the documentary. So then no, you they said you, they couldn't inform us. My God. So then you find out what happened to your beautiful boy who lived for one day. You find out through a documentary and through social media. Yeah, literally, we had to read our, like Leona's interviews that were on the papers. We had to see it on Facebook and read the articles. And still at that, we still didn't know any better And until we actually watched RT Investigate and got more of an insight into it. And then we had our questions as if to say, why am I involved kind of thing? Oh and then we found out that there was 18 of us all together. Have you found out anything more since? Well, we're getting like we were promised that we would have got answers last year. We were promised there'd be a human tissue bill put in for September of this year, which we've now been notified through a third party that that didn't happen in the dial. Uh, we're getting emails every four weeks. What's annoying us about the emails is we're all basically getting the exact same email copied and pasted every time. All that's changed is our names at the top of the email. Yeah. You want to know. And it's just delay, delay, delay. We'll contact you in four weeks. That's it. We need the closure. Like me personally, I actually took out, took down my son's photos because I felt like I was sitting there looking at his pictures. And in my mind, I was saying, I can't give answers when I don't have answers. Why did that happen to you when I'm looking at his picture saying you didn't deserve this? It's re-traumatizing all over again. I mean, losing a child is traumatizing enough. Hello? 
Losing a child is traumatising enough, Katie, but to have to go through this, what's it like? It's as if we thought we had just grieved for our son, whereas when the scandal came about, it's as if he just passed away again, yeah. but in an even worse situation because we don't know, we don't have an answer of why. So it's, pra- it's nearly losing your child for a second time, but this time you cannot grieve because you do not have the answers that you need. Yeah. And as Leona said, and has said before, like somebody decided to do this. Somebody put their name to this plan. And you want to know who that person was and why they did that. That's it. Like we need to know. And I, I probably will come across bad, but what type of sick person can sign off on such a thing on something so delicate? These babies were born. These babies were human. These babies are a child. It's a family. It's not just us, us as parents that are suffering. Our families are suffering. I have, I have children myself. My daughter is only six. She goes to bed with a picture of her holding her baby brother every night, missing him. She has his teddy in bed with her every night. Our children are being affected because it's affecting us as parents. And he was treated as clinical waste. That's sickening. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Like, did they pick it up and just throw it into a bin? Like, just trying to image it is impossible. Like, the organs of a baby are so small. All our 18 babies' organs would fit in a shoebox of whatever they have taken from us. That's not much. Like, their excuse was there was no room in the storage of for covid but even at that, it's it's just not acceptable. Yeah. You want to know why, you want to know who, and you want to know why you weren't told. Yeah, like to be told the way we were, it's just mentally draining. Literally, it's mentally draining, waiting for the answers, getting told week on week on week, oh, you'll have the answer on such and such a date, you'll have your answers on such and such a date. I was actually on RT Investigates this exact day a year ago and I'm still sitting here with the same questions in my head. Yeah. It's hard on a family. It's hard on a relationship. It's hard on you, Mint. I mean, I'm sure it must be the last thing you think of every night and the first thing you think of every morning, is it? Every minute of the day, <laughs> literally. When will we get the answers? Why? When can I grieve for my baby? When will I get closure? Like, it's just question upon question upon question that just runs through your mind constantly. I said at the time, and I I have no connection to any of these families, just my own personal feeling as a parent myself and a human being. My one question is that whoever decided to sign off on this, why are they still in a job? Would you share that? That's it. Like, we don't know who it is. That person might be a top person inside the HSE signing documents still to this day after signing such a harsh document that has hurt so many people and they're still getting away with it and getting away with it. Like, is that person ever going to stand up in front of us 18 families and apologise? Are they ever actually going to show us they are genuinely sorry for the mistake they have made? And at that, it's not a mistake. It was done. End of. And they're going to tell you why they did it? That's it. Like at this point now, being told the report is ready, but sorry, we can't give it to you. 
that's not fair. There's fa- there's 18 of us all together. There's nine of us in our group. We have all replied to the hospital about wanting the report and how we want the report furnished to us. But now we are on limbo again because the other families might not decide to read the report and not reply. And that means then we're left sitting, waiting and waiting and waiting. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Even though we know it's up in the hospital, the report is done, it's ready. So the Just report is ready, but you can't get it. Yeah. And, yeah, and they haven't it. told you why. Well, the reason when they emailed us is that they were, they're waiting for all families to reply to them about how they want the report furnished to them. And until all families have replied, they will not furnish it because they don't want other families finding out through third-party sources. So, in other words, there are 18 families, and unless all 18 families reply, and sure, some might just not want to. Some might want to just get on with their lives, and that's their business if they do. So, until all 18 families give a response, there's no report available to any of you. That's it. That's what we have been told. That they don't want other families finding out through third-party sources about the report and what's in the report. So it's a good job you're thinking about that now, not like letting me find out through a television documentary. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Katie, I don't know what to say to you. I really don't. I, I, well, I do, actually. I wonder how do you keep going? For my children. If it wasn't for my children at home, then I don't know. Would I have coped? Or Who? would I have been so strong? Who else do you have to look after? I have a 12-year-old daughter, Holly... I have an eight-year-old son, Caleb, and I have a six-year-old daughter, Ruby. So I have three at home that keep me going 24-7. So without them, I wouldn't be me. And I suppose the oldest is probably old enough yet to start asking questions themselves, are they? They all do because they know that, like, they actually attended the last protest with me. They held the signs for their brother. They've held pictures of their brother. As I said, my daughter sleeps with the picture of him by her bed. She says, good night, good morning, every day. And she's only six. Yeah. Did did you get to, I mean, did you get to to bury James or or what? No, did you? I actually, I got got him cremated and I have some of his ashes here at home. And my grandmother actually passed away the June. So I was after giving my grandmother a little urn with some of his ashes and one of my grandmother's last wishes was for James's urn to be brought, put into her coffin with her so that he would be with her forever. His nana would mind him. 
Yeah. He's lucky he has a lot of angels up there. I know, I know. It's heartbreaking stuff. Katie, thank you so much for speaking with me today. I really do Thanks hope, a million, Peter. I really do hope you get that to see that report. And you know what? If you get to see that report and you can never open your mouth to someone like me about it again, that's fine too. You just need to see it. Well, I, in my opinion, I think the country will need to know just as much as we do because they're now, like, they've been watching our TV interviews, they've been reading our interviews, they have been listening to us on the radio. So they know our story. So why let them know how far we're going and how far we're getting and then not telling them the answers because they have support, some of the public have supported us so much. And like Leona said, you're not going away. Katie, thank you very much. That's Katie Quilligan. 0818 96 96 96. Another one of the mammies affected by this. Her little boy James was only one day old. And somebody, somewhere, decided to send his organs and little Lee's organs and the organs of 16 other children away to Antwerp to be burned as clinical waste. Somebody actually sat down and decided to do that. And I ask again, why is that person still in a job? 0818 96 96 96. Access all areas on Cork's 96 FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael with an update on Cork's entertainment. Trash Culture Review's premiere edition is bringing together 15 Cork artists working under the radar for one night only in one of Cork's finest venues, the Kino. It takes place on October 23rd with tickets on sale now. Access all areas. John Smith has built a reputation of one of the UK's finest guitarists and songwriters, steeped in the lineage of British folk and taking his cue from Richard Thompson and John Martin. Smith returns to Cork this week for two shows at Collins on Thursday and Friday night. Access all areas. You can contact us here at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, or exhibition coming up, or any live streaming events or gigs by emailing us at AAA at 96FM.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Courts 96 FM. I'm going to talk to Pat Drynan for a while. Pat is the founder of homehack.com, which is an interesting new website for people seeking accommodation. Before we get to that, Pat, you've come across a lot of people, like people with good jobs, good, well paying jobs, who are offers of good, well paying jobs in Cork, who are turning them down because they can't get accommodation. Good morning. Good morning, uh, PJ. Yes, indeed, we, we do. We People come to our platform to create tenant CVs that they use to apply for homes. And so we, we sort of track their progress then as mm-hmm. time goes on. And, you know, some of them have been, have been taking 10, 12 weeks. Um, and we've spoken to one or two employers and... They, we spoke to one employer only two weeks ago, and they they lost twenty people in the Cork area um, that left Cork area because they couldn't find accommodation. So and, it is very challenging. And these will be good jobs, like good solid jobs. Yes, I mean, I can tell you, a, a consultant. I won't say much more than that. Sure. A consultant and his, his wife, um, his his spouse, uh, had a good, a very good job. Two kids, um, looking to pay over two thousand a month. Um, a good bit over 2000 a month, and it took uh, 11 weeks before they got accommodation. Now, 11 weeks, it, it worked out for them, but 
you know, how much longer do they wait, sort of. Um, and then, of course, they're com- compromising in that they had, you know, they hoped for a particular type of home and maybe they got something close. But, you know, week eight, week nine, week ten, and they're thinking, is this move going to happen? Yeah. You know, because you're moving your family here. You're trying to make a, a future for yourself. Yeah. And then the employer as well can't wait forever either. No, and I spoke to an employer representative yesterday, somebody that... Um, in, in a very large employer in Cork, and they have a number of houses. They had to get houses that they rent themselves, and they put employees up for a limited amount of time. And his most distressing time of any week was on the Friday when he was having to tell people, okay, we've had you in the temporary housing for one month. You've, you've meant to be, you're meant to try and find your own accommodation, but now we have more employees coming in next week and we need to put them into the temporary accommodation because they've promised them, of course, you know, four weeks free um, free as a part of a relocation package. They, sure. they promise people temporary accommodation. But then the people in the temporary accommodation, they're gainfully employed and they have good jobs, but they can't find um, a home, a permanent home to move into. And so there's a merry-go-round there. It's a crazy situation. So talk to me about Home Hack, which is homehak.com. How does it work, Pat? Well, for the last 25, 30 years, the process has been driven by property websites and the process that we're all familiar with, where a, a property is advertised on a property website. And then in Cork, if you, if you, if you look at the, the ads advertised in Cork, there are about 50 on any given day at the moment. It's, it's the smallest amount historically. And the idea is that um, you can get up to four or 5,000 people will look at those individual ads. And it's an advertising business model and it's it's all about the property. So what we've done with HOMAC is to say, this is this is riding roughshod over the individuals involved in the process. So with HOMAC, we start with the people looking for the home. And we, 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 get, we help them to prepare a tenant CV. We call it a home hack tenant CV. Okay. And so that means that they, they get all of their materials prepared in advance. They get their references. They, we help them to, to, to collect their rental history, their employment details, um, everything about them that says, I'm an organized, I'm a good home a tenant, um, and they get it all prepared and safely stored away. Now, it does, they don't have to show it all in the beginning because we have – GDPR firmly in our sites and that too many people are giving away too much information, PJ. And so we, we help them to collect it all and then to show a summary and say, here's everything I have now that's ready. And then this is attractive to the landlord and letting agent who, when the landlord and letting agent advertise on the property website, they don't want 5,000 views or they don't want 400 people applying because that just overwhelms them. So what we've done is to say, you can just come on, you can put in the, the you know, the properties in the north side or the south side or it's in a village or whatever it is. And then you just deal with the individuals who want to live near there or who work down the street or nearby. And you're not overwhelmed. You're able to do a better job with people who have demonstrated they're organized and demonstrated they're trustworthy. So, so you help them to put together this this pack for a potential yes. a potential landlord, Pat. Given that you work so close to the coalface and with so many people trying to find accommodation, have you any personal insight on what is the cause of this mess? You mean the entire accommodation yes. mess? Well, supply, yes. Su- yes. supply, supply. Yes. Supply, supply is so definitely the, 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 the biggest issue, the, the, the issue that everybody is grappling with. But I believe that the entire process 
is is hindering is is dysfunctional the entire process is too focused every conversation is about property pj and we're trying to make the conversation about people and if we if we make it about people i believe we can we can find we can chip away at the sides of this and i'll give you a few few examples mm-hmm. when 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 a crisis happened and a war started in 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 ukraine 10,000 people came out of nowhere and offered rooms now various whatever happened since in terms of how many rooms were, were matched up. But the point was that people instinctively came out of nowhere and offered up, and that the Irish people in general are very hospitable people. But, you know, the instinct was there. Um, Charity-wise, th- this country always punches way above its weight. The, yeah. the, the Irish people will respond when they see people in need. They always do. And I feel that we need to change the whole conversation from being around um property and let, let me tell you how practical ways i think that we can help this so a couple of weeks ago we decided to take our business from an online and we went on the ground to the castle west shopping center in Bellancolic, okay. just to demonstrate the, the, the point and we thought okay um we, we want to our, our proposition works really well now for the, the home seeker and the tenant it works really well for the letting agent and the landlord but we wanted to try and expand the marketplace. The stats are, are are real that there are tens of thousands of spare rooms in Cork. Yes. And we thought, okay, let's and and the CP the, the CSO stats tell us this from 2016. There are tens of thousands. So, for, I mean, for every five bedroom house in Cork, all the five bedroom houses, I think there are something like 40,000 bedrooms in those houses that are not being used. Yeah. Now, when we went out, so we thought we'll go out and we'll engage with the homeowners face-to-face in the shopping centre. And we met wonderful people. And, and we wanted to understand what, what it was a listening exercise and what is it would motivate you to offer that home. And it's the conversations all came around to, well, when my own kids were a certain age, they rented. And when they think about a potential home seeker, somebody who needs a home, mirroring their own kids at that age, they're more inclined to say, do you know what? If we found an easy process, if we yeah. made it, if they can put a face and, a, and a, an image that is like their own kids, mm. they're very open to it. Plus, the more fact of that it you is can, like you can earn fourteen thousand a year tax free. Yes, yes. For oh, and 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 uh, just to clarify, one thing that people seem to be confused about: you don't get a check in the post for fourteen thousand. Some people think because the number is thrown out a lot. It's like if you get a thousand a month, you can you'll get twelve thousand in the year, and that twelve thousand would be tax free. Or if you had two people on five hundred a month, you know that would be twelve thousand again. So and as long as it doesn't go over the fourteen thousand, because when it goes to fourteen thousand and one euro, you're taxed on the whole amount. Yes. So th- that that's important to be aware of that because with with rents being high. Um, that might actually happen if you had three tenants come into your home. So you're encouraging people, Pat, to offer up the spare room, to think about offering up the spare room to to a a, a person needing yes needing a rental, and they can can they do it through HomeHack? Yes, well, well, our our platform is there, and it, it's you just go on and you go to landlords or you can go on to the tenant selector and it's 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 set up originally to help people who are coming to the city the workers or or anybody who comes to the the to cork city to apply for a home but we've expanded that to include if somebody now wants to go on there and click register they just put in their room or their home details it's free for them to do that for 30 days after you you'll have it rented in 
in a matter of days. But then after 30 days, the question is, if you want to keep the account, it's €25. Mm -hmm. So it's not about the the, the cost here. And and if somebody objects to that, even we don't mind. We're trying to house people um, and people that have prepared good, organized tenant CVs. And, and to, so we just want to go on and register and put up your details. And there is um, there is a, re- a requirement that you verify your ID, PJ. And I want to mention that because it's only three minutes. We're the first to do this in this space in Ireland. It's with Stripe, Stripe Identity, yeah. uh, and a, a name known to everybody, I think. That's the Collison and Brothers. And the yeah. reason, yes, the Collison Brothers, and they're an Irish success story. And the reason we've done this um, it's, 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 if you like, a hurdle is to deal with the fake landlord situation. And I think all, a lot of good homeowners and good landlords don't mind the three minutes it might take to show your driving license or passport yeah. to the system. It means we're, we're not collecting the, the driving license or passport, but Stripe is looking at it and saying, yeah, that's the homeowner, the same one that's on the passport. So safe person. And it's to, it's to discourage the fake landlords that which, are out there. Which would solve the problem of a uh, misfortunate person coming from up the country or another country yes. and paying over money and then discovering that the place they paid for doesn't exist. It's, it's, it's a whole... Doesn't exist, exactly. Yeah. And, and that's, that's we, we, we need to push... And the Gardaí have been doing great work actually this year, I think, and made some very good information public yeah. about it, which we, we, we share as well. We, but we, 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 we want we, to... There are a lot of places people. in town, uh, Pat, and years ago there was an initiative, um, a living over the shop initiative in the 90s, and it kind of fell away... Um, for any number of reasons, but if you take Oliver Plunkett Street as an example, a lot of units in there would have room up there for two or three apartments or rooms. Like you'd think that it's about time council and landlords got together and sort things out and just provide the accommodation that's so badly needed. You would, and every time the conversation starts, PJ, it all comes back to the planning and the finance and everything. It becomes about the property. And I really do think if it became around, right, we have a thousand people, there's their faces, there's their tenant CVs on HomeHack, they're real people, with, they can pay, this is, this is how they will pay, um, and they're ready to move on the, the, the 1st of, of March, let's say, or whatever it is. Mm. Yeah, it all seems so easy when you think about it logically, and there's so many hurdles in the way of people. Pat, thank you very much. That is uh, Pat Drynan of HomeHack. Dot com H-O-M-E-H-A-K, homehack.com. A street like Oliver Brunkett Street or Patrick Street, like anywhere else in Europe or across the world, would have loads and loads of people living upstairs. But yeah, we don't we don't do it here. Would you there's a question that Pat raises. Would would you take someone into that spare bedroom upstairs? I'm thinking particularly of people whose family have moved out or you might be living in a four-bedroomed house and have a completely empty bedroom that is just storing old clothes and suitcases at this stage. Would you like to make 14 grand a year out of that or 12 grand a year out of that tax-free, giving accommodation to a young professional person? Mandy think, would you do that? I mean, it used to be called digs. There was loads of people had digs and gave out rooms as digs. And my, my dad... I'd rest him when he came to Cork as a young guard back in the day. He had digs. That's what they were called. They were, they were digs. You paid to stay in a person's spare room. And that's what Homehack is about. And lots more besides. You'll find the website. Homehack. H-O-M-E-H-A-K. 
Com. Reminder to you that the Premier League is back this weekend at 96fm.ie with Trevor Welsh. Saturday from midday, all powered by Talk Sport. Three games against you on Saturday. Notts Forest v Liverpool at 12.30. Manchester City against Brighton at 3. And Chelsea against Man U, a biggie, at half past five. Premier League live online with Harvey Norman. Your home of the big screen. You're listening Saturday on the Corks 96FM app. Or go to 96fm.ie. You also have split cork down the middle this morning. Oh, yeah. is this the story about the vase? The voice of the vase. The vase. For the vase. A vase. I'm siding with Victoria. Yeah. <gasps> yes. Might just be the South African in me, but I'm saying vase. Yay! Casey and Ross. Yes. It's Vaz. Thank you very much. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Vaz all the way. Yeah, hello. Sorry, now it's actually a Vaz. It is actually it is a Vaz. Vaz. Thank you very much, little person. Good morning, boys. Yeah. And Victoria. I never heard anybody saying past the Vaz. Lean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Lads, it's a f- slower pot. <laughs> Casey and Ross in the morning. Get into gear for 2023 with No DC Cars Blackpool. Skoda's sales dealer of the year. Open 24-7 at NoDC.com. Courts 96 The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818-969696. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. David Stanton's making that argument in the news. I've heard it before and I'm not with it. I can't quite say yeah. Uh, good idea because I know what he's saying about energy saving and to be more light at certain times of the day and all of that. I'm not sure he's getting the idea that we'd have to stop heating our homes, that winter wouldn't get cold just because we don't change the clock. I'm not too sure he's going on that one but probably with lighting I do see his point. There's only one thing and I wonder what you'd think about this if we decided not to put the clock back in, in 10 days time at the bank holiday weekend and if we decided not to do that this is what this is the is it the 19th or the 18th of October 19th of October today so if we were not to put the clock back the sunrise time on the 19th of November sunrise would be 9 o'clock so it would still be pitch black at 8am when you're getting the kids up uh, on the 19th of November you'd have a little bit of light little bit of light about 20 past 8 and you would be leaving for school at 25 to 9 pretty much in the pitch black in November and if you didn't put it back coming into December so let's imagine it's now the 19th of December if we decided not to put the clocks back as David Stanton is suggesting and again I see where he's coming from with regard to saving light and saving juice and saving lecky but if we didn't put the clocks back at the jazz weekend on the 19th of December which is the Monday before Christmas sunrise will be 20 to 10 so I'm sorry seriously sunrise will be 20 to 10 so it would still be absolutely pitch black at half eight quarter to nine when the kids are going to school and we're all going to work I'm not sure that works 
Can you just imagine the carnage in the streets with Christmas shopping traffic and all of that carry on if we didn't put the clocks back? Am I an advocate for putting them back and letting them back? Maybe. But couldn't just put it off now. Couldn't. It would be, I think it would be very, very dangerous in terms of traffic and safety on the roads and all of that. But that's just me. Your thoughts, welcome at 0818 96 96 96 on organs. And it's just a different topic with regards to organs, but I think this person can, she empathises a bit. My grandfather had his leg amputated. The hospital rang him up and they offered it could be taken away or it could be buried in one of their plots. And they were really lovely about it. I really don't understand how they thought this was okay to do that with baby's organs. Aren't we always supposed to be moving forward? Ain't that the truth? 0818969696. I'll be talking in a little while about James Corden. See this story? This James Corden has been banned from a New York restaurant. They did what they call 86 him. It's a term I haven't heard for a long, long time. Uh, my my wife worked in the restaurant trade years and years ago, and I haven't heard it. It's an American term. To 86 someone means, you're barred. You're out. You're barred. He got 86 from a restaurant in New York due to uh, his treatment of staff, did James Corden. Um, he wasn't very nice at all. A place called Balthazar. He has since apologised. I'm not too sure if they've lifted the ban on him, but he has since apologised. 0818 96 96 96 that and more to come uh, this hour but let's go back to a previous topic of conversation from yesterday so Fanula following on from yesterday and children on planes and crying and all that kind of thing and anxiety you have your own story good morning oh, oh good morning uh, yes it's quite a funny story I was travelling to Toronto with my dad yeah. <clears throat> out of Cork uh, via London to Toronto and we had the family from hell in front of us. A teenage young girl uh, pushing the seat back. She pushed um, my father's drink into his lap. Now you can appreciate he travelled light, clothes wise. Yeah. And British uh, Airways staff apologised. She repeated it. Uh, and they kept saying, sorry, the plane is full, it was Christmas time, etc. So she did it the second time after spilling the drink the first time? She did it with the food tray. And, and did the staff say to her, or the hostess say to her, look, there's someone behind you, would you be careful? Or They tried. And mummy was, her mummy was kind of frowning at us. Hmm. Um, but anyway, long story short... Uh, got off in Toronto, uh, had a lovely Christmas with my brother in Toronto, and we were coming back to return home after Christmas. And the next thing, anyway, um, queued up, went up to check in at the airport, and next thing, anyway, I was behind, I was hugging, kissing everybody, and went up and just said to the chicken people, um, could we have an aisle seat? For my father, who was in his 70s. Yeah. And she just looked at me, smiled at me, and said, I can do a lot better. How would you like to go first class? Nice. 
so we flew over the Arctic Circle. I was looking at the stars and we had all kinds of nice food and drinks. Very nice. And did they recognise you from... I, at the time, I didn't even think about it, but I think they had tagged us that, you know, we didn't create a lot of us. We right. just left it go. <laughs> that was nice. It was gorgeous. Had you ever been on first class before? Uh, not before and not since. <laughs> <laughs> the best of it all was uh, they came around with a drinks menu. Yeah. And oh, I said, Oh, I love Key Royale. Lovely. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And my dad said something like, uh, I'll have a beer. Yeah. And the said to him, Oh, uh, I'll try and see if there's one in the economy for you. Oh, dear. <laughs> and as Uncle Billy would have said, <laughs> you can take the man out of Cork. Because <laughs> he normally had a drop of Jameson. Right. But anyway. You you really would wonder though, wouldn't you, about parents who will let a teenager do that on a plane, or a child? I don't know the circumstances, but she didn't seem like a nice child. Yeah, you come across the odd one. Good to talk to you, thanks very much. <laughs> Not at all, thank you. Cheers, Fanula. Yeah. We've all come across that situation. The child in front or the child behind. The child behind who will not stop kicking. The child in front who will not stop jigging the chair. And her dad had his drink spilled into his lap and his food spilled into his lap. That's just rude. To let a child continue to do that, I would have thought. I promise I'll tell you about the double buggy, seeing as we've got your stories about your adventures on planes. I will tell you about the double buggy before we finish today. But we've been looking at some of your odd hobbies over the last week or two. Do you know we have knights who go into armed combat? No, I'm serious. We do. Got one of them on the phone next. The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96FM. The Cork Diary is a free service. So if you're a community group, a not-for-profit organisation, or you have a fundraising event you would like mentioned, let us know and we'll tell Cork all about it. Email the details to corkdiary at 96fm.ie. The Cork Diary. With corksimon.ie. Because everyone who calls Cork home should have one. Cork's 96FM. In the realm of strange sports that I've heard about, this comes up as one of the most unusual. I've heard of wife carrying, which is still a sport, but I've never heard of armed combat, medieval armed combat, fighting like knights. And there's championships and there's a club. And Brendan Halpern joins me. Brendan, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. So you get on a suit of armour... And you fight like a knight. Do you get up on a horse? Morning. <laughs> do you do that? We we don't involve horses in it. So it, the the sport is a recreation of the medieval foot tournament. So we're on foot. We're wearing about twenty five to thirty kilograms of steel armor and padding, <laughs> and it's a full contact sport. How on earth did you get into this, Brendan? <laughs> well, I actually I got into it from the academic side. I did a master's in archaeology where I was studying using weapons, picking them up and having a feel of them and putting on armour and letting people hit me seemed like a logical next step. (laughs) So here I am now. And it's like proper weapons and proper armour. You said 25 kilos. About that, yeah. 
depends on what people are doing and how much protection they think they need. And but in and around there, so the weapons they're not sharp. Right. Um, they're blunt as they would have been in in those medieval tournaments. But you're talking about you know getting hit full force with a, a two handed long sword. You you need the armor to work for you. You would. Full, like it's full contact. Full contact. So you're hitting full force with the weapons. You can kick. You can throw. If you feel like it, you could headbutt people. Okay. And is this like it's dangerous? You'd be surprised by how safe it is. It'd be much less dangerous than say playing rugby or or, or possibly even playing soccer. The armor does its job. It's designed. It was designed over hundreds of years to stop people getting killed in it. Um, so it's it's actually very very good protection. Now you'll pull pull muscles and be stiff and sore the next day, but generally your risk of injury is fairly low. Right. And would you wear the full helmet? Like how do you how do you see your opponent? You've got a a full face visor closed down in front of your eyes. Um, so the, your vision is is fairly restricted. You'll see what's in front of you, and a little bit to the side, but but not too much. Um, but your brain kind of it it fills in the picture. So when you're fighting, you don't really notice how much you can't see. Your brain kind of picks it up. Right. Uh, you won't hear a thing though with <laughs> the the helmet on and the padding inside us. You'll hear very little unless someone's shouting right into your face. This is beginning to sound like a scene from Game of Thrones or something like that with, without all the without all the blood. Who plays this in Cork or who does this in Cork? How many people are involved? Well, our club, the Knights of Munster, um, we currently have about 10 to 15 active members. Now only, I think, five of them would have all the steel armour and some of them do. Mm-hmm. We, we train with padded equipment then weekly. Right. Any women involved? Uh, at the moment in Cork, we have one woman um, involved in our team. Um, we're looking to have more. We really want to build up that side of the sport because elsewhere in Ireland, uh, we have a four-time world champion in uh, in the women's side of the sport, Lara Servois. She's a three-time winner in women's longsword and once in polearm, which is like a big axe. So, so, so there actually is pretty proud there of are tournaments and championships in this. Oh yeah, it's a, an international sport. We've represented Ireland at six world championships now, I think. Right. Um, and we we tend to punch above our weight for we're we're a small country with a small team, but we we tend to do fairly well. We've got a a, a strong lineage of of being good in in combat sports, Ireland. Yeah, we do. We do. Like that woman you referred to there, Lara Servoel. Like she's got long sword. Long sword seems to speak for itself. She's got a world title, and there are three world titles. And what is pole arm? Would you mind telling me? So a pole arm, it's basically a a six to seven foot tall axe. So it'll be a small enough axe head on on one end and a big long <laughs> handle. Okay. And now that's the one where you need your armor to really work for for you because there's a, a whole lot of force you can get. Right. Good lord. And and you'd be hit full force with that thing. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and you you definitely know when you're hit with that. With the do. the long sword or, or or single-handed swords, they don't hurt too bad. But the pole arm, there's a whole lot of 
momentum behind your your hits. It gives a whole new meaning to the term poleaxed. So where do you buy the gear and where do you buy the weapons and all that? A lot of our the equipment that we wear and the weapons they come from Eastern Europe. Um, the sport is much bigger over there. It's cheaper for them to produce it, um, and and they they know the requirements. So actually, a lot of our we we we've been exporting arms and armor from Ukraine for quite a while. Really, Ukraine? Yeah, yeah, and we've even fought over there. The last World Championships in 2019 before COVID and everything put them on hold. The last World Championships were was over in Kiev. Right. So we're, we're we're familiar with with a lot of the people over there, and some of them are yeah. now obviously currently actually fighting. Yeah. Would you like you want to be very strong? Would you, would you be naturally an aggressive person? It sounds like a great way to release tension. I I, I tend to, I'm very relaxed. I, I I get all my my aggression and anger out in the fighting. Um, you'd want to be fit for it if you want to be serious about competing in the full armor and everything. Um, and it's it's a good workout, um, mm. but it, you don't need to be. We were not trying to kill each other. Generally, you 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 have your fight and you, and you hug your, hug each other afterwards and say thanks for hitting me. That was brilliant. <laughs> well, that I can imagine. But I'd say if you've got three or four stone of armor and protective kit on you, and then that pole arm doesn't sound like it's a light yoke either. You'd want a bit of strength and a bit of fitness. Fitness and cardio is the big thing. Um, being brute strength isn't so important because it's kind of when when you learn how to swing the weapons right and to you use it all correctly, it's right. all coming from the core. And right. but you definitely want to be fit for it, and and that's kind of what well, we we train weekly to try and build that up and get right. people used to it. And, and there are different then different weapon divisions and different weight divisions. So you like you'd have a a person with a pole arm is fighting a person with another pole arm, or would you mix weapons, or how do you decide what weapon, what weapon you're going to use? In the normal tournament categories, you'd have sword and shield, and you've long sword and you've pole arm. So they'd be they each be fighting with the same weapons. They wouldn't be mixing them up. And then we have group fights, which could be 5, 10, 15 fighters on each side. Um, and then you can kind of pick and choose which weapons suit you best, whether it's a two-handed axe or a mace and a shield or whatever it might be. Right. Mm. I have a big, wide smile on my face here, and I'm just fascinated by this. And also, where you meet, I went, no, never. Where do you meet? We train uh, on on Tuesday evenings in Clarsh de Creestree on Capwell Road. I went to school there, <laughs> <laughs> and and I'm sure I'm sure you never saw a fight there in your life. I'm oh sure God, it was all no. very pretty calm. Oh and, God, and nobody, sedate, nobody yeah. was ever claimed out by the bike shed. No, 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 never happened. <laughs> well, if it did, we didn't wear padding and armor. We just flaked each other when we did. <laughs> This fast and like, I'm, I take it there are rules like you're not allowed to stamp on someone. You don't you don't go for the exposed parts of the body, or are there any exposed parts? There would be some places that are less protected than others. Um, there, there there are rules for us, so you can't uh, you can't say hit the groin or hit the feet, or you can't aim for the the neck. We don't do any thrusts with the weapons. So that'd be a, like a stab. Yes. Uh, which most of the places, the armor would be fine if it hit that. But if it slips in through an eye slit or anything, obviously it's going to go catastrophically bad. Yeah. But 
you you know you can you can kind of aim for the less protected parts as long as it's an illegal strike. Um, I can think of a few people who might want to get involved and give this a go. So you train on a Tuesday evening, eight to half nine at Cloisterkree Street, Knights of Munster. I assume if you just put that in and Google, it, it'll come up. Yeah, we're on Facebook and we're on Instagram, and you can you can you can message us there and ask all about us. All right, um, and we're. We're 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 an inclusive club. We welcome anybody above the age of eighteen, whatever their your level of fitness, um, anything like that. We're we're happy for you to come along and try it out. All right, listen, Brendan. Good luck with it. It's it's it sounds like actually does sound a whole, like a whole ton of fun. Uh, that is uh, Brendan Halpin of the Knights of Munster, medieval armored combat, of which Ireland has the three time world champion in the women's division. I'd never have guessed. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Any more hobbies that you think we haven't thought of? Keep them coming because that's. I think that tops it now, as one of the most unusual. Get back to James Corden and this story from from New York, where he got barred, kicked out of a place called Balthazar for basically being a gobshite and being very nasty to a member of staff. Extremely nasty. The owner uh, is a fella who said, uh, he said, James Corden is a highly gifted comedian, but a tiny cretin of a man. The most abusive customer in Balthazar since the restaurant opened 25 years ago. I hate anybody being rude to wait staff. Um, I really do. There's no need for it. Um, if you're if you have a problem with your food, ask them nicely, and they'll try and sort it. I always kind of think, well, the poor misfortune who brought it to your table and put it in front of you, they didn't cook it. So what's the point? If if it's not great, why would you start on them? Tess, you waited tables for a few years. You came across a lot. Good morning. Good morning. I have to agree with you a thousand percent. Um, it's usually a thankless job, and particularly in the States, you end up working just for tips. Really? Which you have to share. Oh, yes, yes. I mean, I would start out my shift with uh, my shift pay. The taxes were taken from it, so I started off at zero. And whatever tips I got, I had to share if I had a busboy, if there were other wait staff there, we all had to pool our tips and give a cut to the bartender. So... You know, so hold on, you, you, you had, had no uh, hourly rate, Tess, no? Oh, no, no. Our hourly wage was however many customers came in and tipped us. That was it. How is that, that even legal? Oh, it probably hasn't been legal, you know, since the dawn of time. But there were always ways around it because the shift pay, which was a tenor, <clears throat> excuse me, at the time, would have you know, been your guarantee. But by the time they went ahead and took the taxes out, it was literally, it was starting from zero. So, you know, it gave you the flexibility, but you paid for it. And with New York rents, even at the time, you really had to be hustling. And Mm. there was never a guarantee as to whether you were good, bad or indifferent Mm. if you'd make enough money. Because you'd have no idea, would you? You're trying to go to a landlord to to rent a place to live and you've no idea Mm -hmm. what your income is because you could have a busy weekend and turn a few hundred bucks and then you could have a dull night and turn 30. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you were lucky enough to have trained or worked in silver service, which um, you then had more of a guarantee and uh, there was a special deal on tips at the end of the night, then you had a better chance. But those events weren't always as regular as, you you know, the usual restaurant shifts. And I did my waitressing in just kind of a neighborhood Tex-Mex restaurant. And it was popular enough. But, you know, uh, if you were the, the newer ones, you got... The awkward shifts where, yeah, there wouldn't be as many people working, yeah. but there wouldn't be as many customers either. So, did, did you, you end know. up in? Am I told? You end up in hospital because of a customer. I did, I did, and what this happened? is in no way a slight on parents. It just this particular couple um, had a young boy with them, I don't know, four or five years old. And, you know, sitting there and I had brought their meal. There were, I was the only wait staff on duty. And they decided when he wanted to get out of the booth and run around like a mad thing that they wouldn't want to stifle his energy is how they had put it. And I had asked them politely to please keep the child with them or stay with the child because it wasn't safe. It just wasn't safe. I, I was carrying hot plates, and, uh, you know, there was a chance he'd be injured. Never mind. I wasn't even thinking of myself being injured at the time. And sure enough, the little darling, um, after running around for a while, ran into the back of me and took me out at the knees, and I went down, and the plates went everywhere. And, of course, he was very upset and ran back to his parents. And they came over and started telling me how they had better not find that their little boy had been uh, hurt or burned or anything by the food or the the broken plate. They blamed me and that they would sue me. And I... I was normally considered a really polite waitress. I mean, it didn't matter, you know, who it was. I would just bite my teeth. And if I ran into a problem, I would say, you know, it's not something that obviously I can resolve to your satisfaction. Please let me get my manager, you know, and I would hand that off. But lying there on the floor in a lot of pain, covered in Mexican food, um, I said, well, when I figure out how I'm going to get back up off this floor, then I'll be countersuing because, you know, I'll need to cover my obvious hospital bills and lost wages and everything else. And they left in a huff. Um, I couldn't afford insurance at the time. And in the States, that's a big thing. And uh, my boss said, well, you know, it can be covered, you know, as far as the hospital goes by the restaurant insurance. So I was sent off to hospital where um, the emergency department, especially, you know, that part of it where it's, you know, do you have any insurance? No. Okay. Yeah, we'll get to you. Um, You know, and I had injuries that they weren't life threatening, but I mean, there was a hairline fracture or whatever, but nothing that could really be treated. My knees were the size of footballs. I was given two crutches and painkillers, told to stay off work and elevate them until 
you know, and to when they were a bit smaller and could safely be wrapped, I could wrap them. Um, but, I mean, it, it was such a crazy place. I ended up with crutches. There were two different heights. <laughs> you know, I, I was I had to try and get myself to the bus to get home. Tess. And then I lived on what they called a five-floor walk-up. Yeah. So I had to... That's like, is that like what it sounds? No lift? No lift. So I had to haul myself up by my backside in my arms up to my apartment where I was able to call some friends and say, look, I'm going to need some help and that. And, uh, you know, just hope for the best. Um, and this was all because of a little brat whose parents wouldn't keep him in check. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I then mean, blamed you, know, you. Then blamed you. They blamed me, and I'm sure that they have reaped that blame by spoiling that child. Um, but, you know, yes, kids get over-exuberant. I understand that. I've, you know, been through that with family. But it is a thing of everyone has to be careful. Now, I've waited on people who had different levels of um, celebrity, and, and I've waited on you know, Joe Blow in the street, and uh, you never can tell. Someone will come in and just, you know, not even look at you. They'll snap their fingers in the air when they want your attention. Um, they make unreasonable requests, and you're kind of like, okay, I had someone come into this restaurant and ask me for Dom Perigny, and wonder why I would not rush out and get them a bottle of Top Flight Champagne. And in a Tex-Mex. In a Tex-Mex, yeah. That's <laughs> so like asking for it in McDonald's. Like, I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and a group of 30 people who wanted all to, to sit together and to be able to talk to each other because they were all together and they wanted the tables arranged the right way for that. And I don't know about you, but I mean, you know, even at a family dinner, there's no way 30 people are going to be able to sit around no. any shape of no. a table. And, you know, we must rearrange things three or four times and they were never happy. Oh, and that was reflected in the tip, Christ. you know. So it's just that kind of thing of you don't know why this person has that job. Um, I was studying. I was uh you know, pay, trying to pay my bills, be independent. Uh, eventually, I ended up because the knees had taken such a beating that sticking with restaurant work oh, for goodness sake. just wasn't practical. Oh. I was lucky enough to get into te uh, office temp work, which at least was a little more reliable. This is a wage there. Rent. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't always fabulous. But, mm. you know, um, you you pay for that in other ways. Because, you know, then you're expected to show up in, you know, certain types of clothing and things like that that you still have to pay you for. You still got to pay for. God, that's, yep. that's unbelievable. Tess, just one, one question before I let you go, and thanks for the story. Um, I have this thing when I'm in a restaurant and I'm impressed by the way someone has, has dealt with me at my table, uh, and I, I want to give them some money. I, I have a problem with tipping the waiter and that waiter having to share it with someone in the back kitchen. I have a problem with that. Am I right? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, here was the thing that we looked at it. It's, there were always some that would join the staff and they'd be like, I don't want to 
split my tips. And it's kind of like, it works out in the long run if that's the way that particular gig is set up. Because you don't necessarily have to, you know, cut anybody in the kitchen. But do you want to or do you have time to do the regular restaurant duties and clean the tables? Can you make the drinks as well? Can you, you know, so if you want to work as a team, then you have to kind of find a way for everybody. And if someone isn't carrying their weight or if someone um, just specializes in being that horrible waiter or waitress that, you know, we've all seen and we've all gotten at some point, (laughs) you know, then they eventually, they're, they're kind of eased out. You know, they start getting the less popular shifts and things like that. But if you have a good team, you help each other out at the bad times and you will also then cover for each other. There, there, There is that as well. So, you know, it, it have, all have, works out. Yeah, I guess I, I guess it does. Tess, thank you very much. That's a, an incredible story. A little brat that parents just wouldn't bring under control. Oh, he's living his best life. And he trips her and he knocks her and she's got trays of food, probably their food, and ends up in hospital and they reckon it's her fault. Now, on those tipping things, and I might actually ask uh, Paul Trevo about it in, in a sec because he's going to be talking to me. Um and one particular incident happened to me in the summertime, and I won't say where, and I won't name uh, the young waiter, but it was a very well-known Cork establishment, shall we just say. And we were really, really impressed with the service of this young woman. And moreover, she said, I'm, I'm new to the job, I'm sorry if I'm a bit slow. I said, you're flying. And she just bonded with us, and she bonded with my son, and she was dynamite. And I, I said to her, Supervisor, I said, she's brilliant. She's brilliant. She, oh, he said, she only started on a Wednesday. This was Friday. And I, I sought her out afterwards. And I handed her a tip of 20 quid. I said, that is for you. Because I said, you've been brilliant with us. And I said, please don't have to. I hope you don't have to share that with anybody. I, 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 think, I think a tip. I'm willing to open this conversation with anybody who wants to have it. I'm willing to open it and discuss it. But I do think the tip is for the server. Let's see what Paul Trevo thinks next. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 0818 96 96 96. On Quartz 96 FM. If I don't get to you on that particular topic of conversation today, we'll come back to it tomorrow. If you're in a restaurant and you've been happy with your food and happy with the service, do you think that the couple of quid you give should go to the server or to everybody. If there, should there be something for everybody in the audience, as Tubbs might say. Paul Trevode, I'm going to talk to you a minute about cancellations and how that's a pain in the neck for, for restaurants. But what about that, Paul? If, if a server in your restaurant down there in Killarney uh, does a great job with, 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 with a customer, should they get the tip or should the whole restaurant get it? Morning. Hey, PJ, how are you? Good. Um, look, I suppose there's a lot of restaurants have a lot of different policies on the go. Uh, and a lot of people say, yeah, look, that's for the waiter. And you can say, that's fine. I could bring you out uh, a bowl of soup and I could do a wonderful job and talk to you all day. And a waiter could bring out and spill it all over you. And you feel sorry for them. And you give them the 20 quid. And the way we do it, which is a kind of a, it sounds bizarre, but when you think about it, it's actually very, very fair is that it's everything is all shared amongst the whole team. 
Uh, and what that means is, and people say, well, but I wanted to give that to him directly or her directly, whatever. But it also means you make tips on your day off. And that's what makes it very, oh. very fair. And that's why we have, yeah, so that's why we have our team for as long as we have. We've, we've our, our front of house staff, are, I mean, some of, some of them are there since since day one. So it sounds bizarre when you go, no, 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 I want them to get that five or that two euro or whatever. But then all of a sudden you go, actually, hang on a second. I was off Tuesday, Wednesday, and, and I still made a few bob and tips. So the reason why we do it is because, as I said, the greatest waiter in the world could do the greatest job in the world and get a two euro tip. And you could have somebody there for a day or two. And uh, all of a sudden they get the 20, 30, 40 euro tip. So that way, it all kind of balances out. But as I said, make making if you knew you were sitting at home putting the feet up and watching a bit of TV there, you could and say, God, I actually think I made about twenty quid today for doing nothing. That's, That's what makes you. I've not heard that one now for, before, Paul. I must. I must say. Yeah. Come here, cancellations. I had occasion, unfortunately, there to cancel with your good self a week or two ago, and I texted you the day before, as I think You're it's on only right and yeah. proper to do. But cancellations. <laughs> I mean. This thing about, and I heard it before and I was talking to a, um, a consultant last week on the show, people who book three or four restaurants and then choose one at the last minute. Like, what kind of carry on is that? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're very lucky in Killarney. It's very rare we have a cancellation. Uh, and I mean very rare. And when it happens, uh, or even even rarer that we have a no-show, when it happens, I kind of go, hey, I can kind of half understand that. So one guy books the, the, the party or the restaurant for, for the stag party and all of a sudden goes, oh, I'm so sorry, there was 20 of us, there's only six of us because the other lads are in the pub and they just want a burger. And I go, yeah, I can kind of understand that because Liverpool are playing United, I'd probably do the same myself. And or else the golfers who'd come off, you know, a four ball or an eight ball and the guy would ring and say, listen, I'm really sorry. They've all just decided to stay in the clubhouse and have a burger. And you kind of go, yeah, I can fully understand that. But as I said, Killarney, we're very, very mm. lucky. It's very rare we have a cancellation. But when I was up in Dublin uh, in, in the restaurant that I had there, it was uh, particularly at Christmas. And what you just said is 100% right. Some poor sod in the office gets the job of booking the Christmas party and goes, I haven't a clue. I'll, do you know what I do? I'll book a Chinese. I'll book an Italian. I'll book a Indian. And, I'll, and we'll decide on the night. But they forget to cancel the other three places. And it's, it's the worst thing in the world. When we had it up in Dublin, and this is going back now 25 years ago. So it was unheard of taking credit card booking or guarantees. Uh, and you just all of a sudden, no show after no. And then they don't even answer the phone when you're ringing them. And you're yeah. kind of going, oh. Now, you thought back then it was part and parcel of the gig, but it killed you on a Christmas, a uh, busy Friday or Saturday night when you think you have 200 booked and you end up doing 80. Thankfully, I think people have realized, you know, especially nowadays in the current climate that we're at, I think people realize, you know, look, it's just a simple courtesy phone call to say, listen, look, we can't make it tonight. Or sorry, even if it's an hour or two, particularly for a kind of a high street restaurant where you might have some yeah. chance of, you know, walk-ins coming in to, to fill the tables. Like, but, there's uh, a difference, yeah, isn't there, look, Paul? Common the, decency. Yeah, there's a difference between calling the restaurant, even if it is kind of short notice, and say, look, I'm, you know, we've changed our plans, we're staying in the golf club, or having a table booked for six people and just letting it empty. That's rude. Yeah, look, unfortunately, some people are, you know. I mean, I, I can't understand why you just wouldn't cancel it. At least give the restaurant, or indeed any business, you know. Mm. You, you could be going to, I don't know, spec savers. You could be going to your doctor. I mean, it's just common courtesy to mm. ring them and say, listen, I'm, you know, I can't make it. Mm. And give them a chance of, 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 you know, getting somebody else in instead. If I, if someone books for three or four people and leaves you, would, would you be tempted to take a credit card number and maybe take a penalty for a no-show? 
I mean, look, we, we hate to do something like that. I mean, I, I'm not, maybe I'm naive myself at times. You like to take people at good faith. That's really what hospitality is all about. And, uh, you know, and I most people genuinely cancel with it. I mean, and it could even be, I mean, we've gotten, again, very rare, the odd phone call 20 minutes beforehand on a Saturday night. I'm really sorry. The babysitter's just let me down. I went, look, no problems. Thanks a million for calling. I mean, at least I know I've, I've some chance. At least if a two walk in, I know, yeah, that tip table is now free. Uh, going down the line of credit cards, I mean, it's hard, particularly those kind of Christmas parties. Nobody's going to give you a credit card to book because they're not, they don't want to get stung. Um, so it, 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 look, it's a touchy subject. I understand certain restaurants need to do it to cover it because mm. they mightn't be in a position like I would where, you know, if you don't come in to me today, you know, I, I, I have a chance of filling that table. Certain restaurants aren't in that position. Yeah. Um, so I understand why they take the credit card. There was a place hit the media recently, Paul, without naming them, um, a small restaurant where you book maybe weeks and months in advance. And now the circumstances were, were quite difficult in that the family had an emergency at the last minute. <laughs> there was no mercy shown. At least that's how it looked. Yeah, I mean... Look, me, me being in the industry, and I know exactly the story you're talking about. Uh, I could see both sides, and and it it was, it's a kind of it's a horrible situation where on paper both sides have have a very genuine reason for doing what they did. So the the restaurant in particular is, I mean. You're not going to turn around at home and say, what do we do for dinner tonight? Uh, Michael, for Chinese, can we get a takeaway? Can we get a pizza? Or do you want to go for a seven-course yeah. tasting menu in a kind of top-end restaurant? That, oh, by the way, we need to be there in 20 minutes. It's a real occasion destination. So it's we have this saying in the, in the hotel industry, a room once lost is a room lost forever. And it's the exact same for certain restaurants at the high-end Michelin star end that, you know, if you're not going to pick that table up, so it's gone. So I understand everybody's point of view is it's just it's just it's a horrible situation that there's no winners uh and you can you could agree with both sides i understand if, yeah. why anybody would take either side uh, yeah, it's, it was it's, a diff- a, it's unfortunate it was, but it was a particularly difficult one come here did you see leo yeah. and the food in the fridge now i hope he did cover <laughs> it well i i do you know what I, I even tweeted there the same people giving out that he didn't cover it would be the same people giving out if he covered it saying we can't even see what's in it now <laughs> so, I mean, like, no matter what i mean we we have this culture i'm i'm genuinely convinced people wake up and go right i need to be offended within the next 10 minutes otherwise i'm going to be offended nobody's offended me uh, i don't know what's happening in the human race like people just need to give out at everything i i did email leo and i said listen i'll do it free of charge for yourself and matt i think i need never mind the tubs i think you need to bit of a cooking lesson i can't have the tarnished future t-shock of our country heading out on a, on a on a on a dodgy stomach in the sense that that ain't good food i can do we can do better matt we can do better but i felt sorry for the guy damned if you do damned if you don't and to be fellas tweeting in now I, he, he likes leo <laughs> the way you see your hotline will be can't believe yeah. he's supporting leo but ah, uh, i don't know look as yeah. i said damned if you do damned if you don't and you know there's a perspective here paul and i know you're, you're a family man so you'll appreciate this so this is from a lady called Georgina so people are getting triggered by the contents of someone else's fridge I'll give you some perspective my 17 year old son died three and a half years ago we would be planning his 21st this weekend get a grip on yourself I, I do you know what PJ I'm, and I feel so sorry for, but I have been to four funerals in the last two weeks and I've just, and one was ah, beyond, beyond upsetting. Uh, not that they all obviously are, but one circumstances where were just horrendous. And I just said to myself, like, 
God Almighty! I mean, it, it just it does put it so much into perspective when 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 you lose a loved one and exactly that. And here we are arguing about some fellas, you know, what's inside his fridge. Uh, yeah, 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 I don't know. Puts it, but all I would say is, look, a bit of common decency, uh, you know, uh, in in the sense of we're coming up to to uh, are hopefully a busy Christmas season, and it's not just the hospitality industry. It's you know, if you're if you're going out for dinner, there's a good chance. Well, not me, but you're going out to get your hair done. You might be going out to get the makeup done, the nails done, or you're going out to get a new top or whatever it is. Just a bit of common decency. Be bear nice. in mind, businesses are on their knees across the board. If you can't make it. Just, just give them a chance to, to reshuffle and, and, you know, sell it to somebody else. All right. uh, and, and all it takes is a phone call. I mean, I might in my head go, damn you for not coming. But trust me, I'm delighted you rang. So that, you know, bit of common courtesy. That that's, I think we need it more than ever now coming up in the next month or two. All right, Mr. T. Good to talk to you. Paul Trevor. See you over the Christmas time, my friend. 0818 96 96 96. If you're going to cancel the restaurant, for goodness sake, just ring them on flying <laughs> PJ first time I flew on my own I was very nervous I'm not great at the best of times flying I sat down there was this lovely older couple beside me and the lady asked was I nervous I said I am a little and we chatted for a while and then the plane started down the runway I kid you not <laughs> she took out her rosary beads <laughs> and started praying I nearly died of fright at the rattling of the beads I thought she knew something I didn't know yeah. On daylight saving time and David Stanton suggesting that we don't change the clocks. And I'm saying, no, that won't work coming into winter. It'll be still dark at nine o'clock at PJ. In the Nordic countries, they're lucky to get any sunlight during winter. I'm sure we'll cope, says P. The problem is, P, they're used to it. We wouldn't be. Trust me if I told you. Dark at nine o'clock on a December morning or dark at quarter past nine on a December morning. That would take a bit of getting used to. So it would, but thank you for taking part in the conversation. Right, before I go, Palma Airport, a few years ago, the bu- I did promise you this, the buggy on its last legs. The twins were about six, I think, and we were still getting them into the buggy, which is very handy to get them around the place. We'd been in Alcudia on holidays and if you know Palma Airport there's a lot of walking and that buggy was creaking under my two six-year-olds because we'd had it since they were about three and got just through the airport just got out onto the tarmac and I'm walking ahead pulling the suitcases and from behind me I heard and two wheels went one way and two wheels went the other way and the two children fell out onto the tarmac. Come on, kids, on the plane with us. And I'm very sure that they had to find a bin for the boat. We just abandoned it there and then, middle of the tarmac, on the way out of the plane. I guess I'm not taking that load of metal and wheels and mesh onto the plane. We had to. What else could I do? All right, that's it. Program edited by Emer. I told you that. I told you I'd tell you. Program edited by Emer O'Hay, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. We talk to you tomorrow just after nine. The Takeover. On Cork's 96FM. Weeknights from seven on the Big Drive Home. We give you the chance to take charge of our tunes. Join me, Lorraine, as you decide what songs we fire up. I'm good, yeah, I'm feeling all
takeover. You pick what we play. See our song list on 96FM Insta Stories with Sophie's Rooftop Restaurant at the Dean Cork. Serving lunch daily over breathtaking views. See sophies.ie. Turn up the music. On Cork's 96FM. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T R Y L I F E M D.com.